day and welcome to The Buzz, a Bank Automation News podcast. I'm Deputy Editor Lorraine Lawson. In today's episode, we're joined by David Von Bruin, who is the founder and CEO of Fairly.ai. Fairly.ai is an artificial intelligence, governance, risk, and compliance solution that automates model risk management. The company specializes in the financial services, healthcare, HR, and education sectors, and it recently won the UBS Global Future of Finance Challenge. We discussed the problems in removing bias from AI models, but first I asked Mr. Van Bruin to explain common use cases for Fairly AI in the banking industry. So we are most uh, of most interest right now in uh, more customer-facing applications. So if you have a mortgage origination model, that can take into account um, a number of factors that could lead towards biased outcomes and uh, progressively more um, more information is being provided on individual applicants for say mortgage or loan or um, any, anything really where uh, you are uh, doing credit worthiness decisioning um, including something like a zip code for example can cause uh, a model to make a prediction that's biased against people of certain ethnicities who tend to live in that zip code, even though it's not uh, directly represented. Um, Our system applies the same traditional model risk management techniques that have been in place since the uh, about 2011 or following the financial crisis and the framework of uh, champion challenger models. So you, you can be building many traditional models and also trying to include machine learning models in the mix and then comparing the performance uh, and ultimately making a decision about which models to put into production. So we, we handle uh, models at a pretty high level, but also have tooling to integrate directly with machine learning. Okay. So you're looking for, for bias or potential ethical issues with the models. Um, are there particular mistakes that you see companies make when they're trying to create these models or using the data or uh, just um, things that you see that are common? Well, the the most common mistake when dealing with bias is to assume that you can just remove any of the obvious uh, input features like race, age, gender from the model and expect that this will lead to a model that's not biased. It's a way of providing some reassurance throughout management that nothing untoward is happening. How could it be biased in the first place? But nonetheless, there's a, a, a concept of uh, proxy values where other input features really can represent the protected class information and then lead to uh, biased uh, results. And by removing this uh, information and not making it available to data scientists or um, model validators, there's no opportunity to identify it and there's no opportunity to 
uh, make um, algorithmic moves to uh, correct for that bias because there there's quite a lot available uh, in modern machine learning techniques to actually um, alter the decisioning process of the model uh, in order to lessen the effect or impact of those uh, proxy values. Can you give an example of of a proxy value that might exist even though you've removed identifiers or what we would think of as identifiers? So, I mean, a very classic one is a zip code, Um, but there's also um, employment gaps, for example, that uh, apply to women when they're pregnant that can be uh, detected and then subsequent lower income. Um, this kind of information gets picked up very easily. That's a very easy pattern uh, for a model to represent. And if you do not have a means of identifying um, that uh, a particular data set has a certain representation of women that's different from men, then you have no no real options uh, to correct it. Another major problem is not, and very basic, is not establishing enough data to represent each of the groups that uh, you're legally required not to be uh, discriminatory towards. And so the models underperform for certain groups. And sometimes it could benefit them, sometimes make it worse, but generally speaking, um, the the goal uh, that is pretty well understood within the academic community as well as uh, legal community is that you want the most accurate performance for each and every group as a kind of baseline and then being able to make decisions about, say, giving some disadvantaged groups an additional advantage over uh, other groups is one that needs to be made very intentionally. Um, so is it better to leave identifying data in in the data um, so that you it can... It be, in certain cases, uh, actually um, leading to more, uh, to fairer outcomes. There's a huge number of papers showing this in certain cases, or that this identifying data um, is less significant to the models than you might think, but there's other pieces of information that becomes more significant. So in the case of uh, a, a pregnancy leave, you you might say if uh, if you look at it, the gap could be significant. The employment gap could be significant, but the gender doesn't turn out to be that significant um, when you test the model um, for future sensitivity. But generally speaking, I think mo- most most applications would not include that protected class information, and that uh, does raise a lot of civil liberties issues um, that cause for good reason, um, consternation around its use, but it can still be collected and used to test the models. 
uh, before they're used in, in production and then spot check them while they're in production as well. Yeah, so I guess if the data is strict of identifiers, you can't tell then if uh, if things like uh, you can't tell the, if the problems are connected to the class, right? That's right. Okay. There's there's also a very popular technique where it's available, where you uh, it's called adversarial debiasing, where you actually train a model to predict uh, one of the um, input features that you don't want to be significant to it. And then you, at the same time, change the way it operates to make it unable to predict. So it's, it's, uh, it's difficult to describe algorithmically and mathematically, but a relatively simple concept of if you make the model if you train a model to be bad at predicting that someone is a, uh, of a certain race, then you know that it's not using that information elsewhere. Interesting. So it's, it's a pretty complex uh, <laughs> science that you're dealing with here. Um, what, um, what do you sort of advise your clients coming into the process of, uh, how do they prepare for debiasing? So it always begins with setting up the requirements that you're going to place on your um, models before you're going to allow them into um, production use. Coming up with a set of quantitative and qualitative reporting requirements and then providing this information to those who are building the model as soon as possible so that they can take the right steps from the start to build models that are ultimately going to comply with the requirements. Um, as models are being built, it's a very, it's often, usually, maybe always a very kind of messy iterative process. You try something, it doesn't work. You, Try something else, maybe read a paper, figure out uh, a new kind of uh, technique, change the data uh, structure a bit and see what works. So as people are are going through this process, having a clear set, uh, having a goalpost effectively that's agreed upon between teams uh, that are doing the building and the validating is absolutely crucial. And um, this can get lost in the mix. Uh, it always seems to get lost in the mix. Um, in all of the, the banks that we're working with, that we've spoken to, um, a very kind of manual process of emails and uh, meetings and kind of after the fact being told to make changes to report on something. Uh, that's no longer available. So it causes a lot of chaos. Um, as as these requirements become more uh, defined and, and become used with additional updates to models, it becomes a lot easier to streamline the reporting requirements, but also to be building the models always towards... Um, very high standards. 
Um, and those standards, are they defined per project, or do you have standards that you sort of um, use across the board? So there's a very general framework that we've built into our system, and that's the framework around um, SR 11.7, which is a specific requirement from the Federal Reserve that applies to um, a huge range of models that you wouldn't even think uh, might be applicable in banking. So customer support models, uh, for example, chatbots. So a huge range models fall under um, that framework where ultimately you you need to apply what are very kind of reasonable processes if you understand um, how they're built. You have to be building um, alternate models called challenger models, select a champion amongst them, compare the performance results, um, provide ample support that your models are performing um, up to the specifications that are required. These are normal kind of statistical measures that are um, now standard, but also that you've used enough uh, suitable test data and describe that test data and ultimately provide to those to a separate function in the bank, the validation function, all the materials that they need to go through that same process of building models, testing them, coming to the same conclusions that you did. And then at that point, they're able to say the one that you've selected uh, does meet our criteria and is able to go out the door. That's very general and, and broadly applicable. The specifics of each model will differ. And so that's where having a more uh, technical integration into the model uh, building platforms allows us to service a huge range of types of models. Um, as what well do you as, mean? Yeah. Sorry, what do you yeah, mean yeah, by yeah, technical yeah. integration? Uh, so concretely, let's say you're building a model in uh, Python, you're using um, Keras and its uh, classification algorithm and it takes um, binary inputs, and then you're going to build it and have a bunch of selections about how it should operate, um, that you you try different um, kind of out-of-the-box selections, like um, L1 or L2 uh, kernel. It's, it's something that's become very standardized, but there's just a huge different, um, huge array of ways you might build a model. We're able to adapt to whichever out of a large number of standard libraries are in use and a large number of selections and manage all of them within our service. Um, and then the qualitative information that's required to be reported on um, and and maintained and have an audit trail behind it, approvals and so on, that uh, is is something that we have a number of templates out of the box, effectively, but also we have an editor so that you can make uh, whichever specific alterations you want uh, for a particular model 
um, that lies within a line of business or uh, or with a particular team. Okay, and you had said there are ways that banks and credit unions can stay ahead of AI regulations. Um, yeah. What do you recommend? Well, I recommend first when you are thinking about how you're going to build your models, what platforms you're going to use, how you're ultimately going to bring them into production. Um, you you think about it as being driven by compliance first. With there's already regulations in a number of sectors um and the the standard ones um that have applied to statistical models there's things like the fair lending act there's there's a lot out there that's not new um and we do have a pretty good idea now of what the next moves are going to be especially in europe um where the ai regulations proposal has already been made public and I think there's a lot of things that are pretty um, already pretty well set that you will have to be able to test for bias. Bias is a huge one that, that comes up. You have to test for standard things like um, potential for financial loss, um, reputational risk, and so on. But with AI, the, the things that you need to test for and provide are now pretty standard explainability um, data drift which just means that your model's going to keep working even if the data changes um, there's a pretty standard set of tools around explainability that people have been using and would for the foreseeable future meet minimum kinds of requirements so by Integrating a system that does compliance alongside the model platforms that you're choosing from the start, you get a, a very big leg up. Um, so you mentioned there are tools, standard tools for explainability. Um, what are those? Is that something you fairly AI does or is it, are there separate tools? We, we offer a, a validation suite, which includes um, easy-to-use tools. Um, so if you have uh, a model that's functioning as a black box, there's ways that you can take um, a particular input that has a particular output and then see what would happen if that in- input was different. So this allows you to say see if the person had been male or female or trans or whatever whether they still would have got the loan Uh, but doing this in a very systematic fashion so that you can then chart uh, the importance of each of the features as well as if um, you want to know why a decision was made on a individual case um, also floating which were the most important um, reasons for the model to make that decision um, based upon what would have happened otherwise. There's also a number of techniques that get a lot closer to the model itself when you're building the model that you can 
select certain algorithms where the algorithms themselves are easier to kind of read off why they uh, behaved as they did. So some some of them are like decision trees that are built into the algorithm, and then you can actually look at the uh, decisions made while the algorithm was processing the data. By choosing that, uh, you have an ability to have an inherently explainable model. Um, so these are now pretty pretty standard techniques amongst people in AI ML, and uh, I'm being adopted. Um, within the banks. Okay, was there anything else that you think banks and credit unions should know about? I mean, there's probably lots they should know (laughs) that you can share about uh, eliminating bias in their algorithms and their AI ML collections. Um, Well, I think at, uh, at a more senior level, it needs to be understood that there's no perfection here and what is being sought by regulators and I, I'm going to imagine the public um, is that you are actually making efforts to remove bias on a continual basis to test for it, to measure it, to check your models once they're actually in use and that ultimately you're going to need to be able to prove continual efforts to improve. Um, this this means we don't get uh, zero, absolute zero bias, whatever that even means. Um, and, and I think people are understanding more and more that there is a conversation to be had about um, how to measure it, how to make decisions when weighing between um, profitability and um, measuring for bias. And this is definitely uh, a conversation at the board level that is being progressively felt throughout the organizations. Um, Do you think this will become, um, create, I guess, a new position within organizations where they, because you talk about it being ongoing. mm -hmm. Um, Have you seen any new positions created just to address that? So data ethics officers um, are are more common. Um, Generally, AI ML ethics positions uh, with different titles. Uh, Responsible AI is probably going to be the one that sticks at places uh, like the fangs. I know the the major tech companies all have res- offices of for responsible AI where they measure ethical issues, and uh, progressively, I think chief risk officers have this on their radar. I mean, they they certainly have it on their radar, but are uh, investing more and more into proper reporting uh, processes and, and teams, and then some that do already exist, but just not by that name. So. Um, banks all have fair lending teams for example thank you so much for joining us for the weekly wrap on the buzz don't forget to attend our bank automation summit march 1st through 2nd in charlotte north carolina 
You can learn more about that at bankautomationsummit.com. For more podcast content, check out bankautomationnews.com and search the buzz for Bank Automation News on iTunes and Spotify.